Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately. For the ones who are always in the know. For the ones who keep things running. For the innovators and the problem solvers. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry. Experienced staff at local branches and free access to experts to help answer your toughest questions. So whatever challenge you face, we have the knowledge and products to help. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Hey everybody, it's Sam with Pro Wrestling Overtime, and this is your breakdown of Impact Wrestling Slammiversary. Happened last Saturday night, uh, July 7th. Yeah, 17th at Skyway Studios in Nashville, Tennessee, the impact zone was full. I went five and three in my predictions. And you know what? That was fine with me. For the simple fact that I enjoyed the surprises they gave me and... Maybe the reasons they gave me those surprises. I was extremely uh, thrilled with how they kind of took care of this event. The pacing on it was just right. And I know a lot of you may not have even liked the pacing of it. For the simple fact that they took their time to allow things to develop and really get you trying to figure things out. And then when you didn't, that was perfectly okay with you because they went up to and they did. They won up me. That's for sure. I even tweeted about it on Twitter. I was like, yeah, I didn't call that. Um, let's first talk about uh, the Brian Myers to Neil Dashwood versus Matt Cardona and his mystery opponent. Now, I think what many people didn't get and I guess I probably dropped the ball on it and didn't really explain it in my prediction show. Impact Wrestling was kind of walking a fine line. They really didn't want to call us too much attention. They didn't want a superstar of theirs getting upset. So that was what was going on. Matt Cardona, I don't know, gosh, um, maybe four or five years ago, six years ago, dated Tennille Dashwood, long time ago, and 
Brian Myers, of course, is his real-life best friend. So Brian Myers, of course, already knew that. Impact Wrestling decided that it would be a good storyline for them to partner up and challenge Matt Cardona. I think what they tried to do was create tension. And I think there was supposed to probably be some flirting with her and Matt. But Impact kind of, I don't know, they kind of pulled this, what could have been a really great storyline, out of the hat and threw it at us last minute. This had about a week, week and a half build. And I was shocked. I really, I mean, I really, really was. Um, like I said in the prediction show, kept dropping the term hot mess. You had to know it was Chelsea Green. His real life fiance. And I've already noticed uh, it's dropped, but I haven't had time to listen to it this morning yet. But, um... Green with Envy, which is Chelsea Green's podcast, this one, she actually sits down and talks about how she felt making her Impact Wrestling debut, being back in Impact Wrestling. She was there once before as Laurel Van Ness. And what it felt like getting introduced, walking out, and seeing the fans. She, of course, was dressed half and half. If you notice, she came out with a wedding train since her and Matt Cardona are getting married on New Year's Eve. And she was half painted. Her hair was totally straight on one side and then it was frizzy and looked like... uh, she had had her finger in an electric socket on the other side. Of course, the other side's makeup was uh, not done correctly, whereas the other side's was perfect. And if you looked at Matt Cardona, he didn't overdo it, but he had the same style outfit on that Chelsea Green did as far as One side of his trunks was one collar, and one side of his trunks were the other. And then on his face, he had one side painted. And they came out strong. Um, Chelsea Green looks like she hasn't skipped a beat. I know that she had, it appeared to me to be a black cast on her arm as a precautionary measure of her breaking it when she made her WWE main roster debut. But they said that she was medically cleared. She said on her podcast, she's medically cleared. And so I really hope that throughout the tapings that Impact is doing, that her and Matt Cardona are on there 
And maybe they do develop the storyline just a little more. But, uh, like I said, it was a pretty good match. Matt and, of course, Chelsea Green won. Then we had this grudge match kind of thing going on. And Eddie Edwards, for a while now, a couple years, has been known as the heartbeat of Impact Wrestling. Now, I think the heartbeat of Impact Wrestling is probably okay with me. Because I think the heart of Impact Wrestling has to be Tommy Dreamer. The chaos of Impact Wrestling, which we will get to later, is Sammy Callahan. But Morrissey made a huge statement by saying he didn't care what he was called. He thought that he was in his way, that he was one of those people that seemed to get everything and people wanted to have his back no matter what. And what Eddie Edwards needed to learn is that no one really had his back. And I was like, uh, okay, you know, that's, that's fine, I, th- I think. And so the match started and you can't, well, yeah, you can. Let's just call it a squash match. It was a lot longer than two to three minutes, which is what a squash match usually is. Morrissey wanted to punish him and squash him and put him through pain. And, of course, Eddie Edwards can sell anything. And he did. He sold it to the fullest. He made two very weak comebacks, but Morrissey is just crushing everyone. You guys know that I thought that Sammy Callahan would start the downfall of Kenny Omega. I guess that awaits next month. But are they building Morrissey in Impact Wrestling to eventually win his first Impact Wrestling title, world title, from Kenny Omega by destroying everyone. To me, his promos sound a lot like Eric Young's. And I'm wondering how close to that line does Morrissey really want to walk and how close will Impact Wrestling allow him to get? Because I don't want another Eric Young. They have one. He's in Violent by Design. Yes, he's hurt. He's in the process of rehabbing. He'll be back. But 
they don't need another one. Morrissey needs... I like that he started out on that line. I like that that line may continue, but I don't think he should take it anywhere closer to Eric Young's uh, psychopathic character. Morrissey, of course, won this after basically getting tired of playing and beating up Eddie Edwards. And, you know, that's fine. But I wish he would have ended it just a little sooner. I felt like this match went on a little bit too long. And I don't get where this was a grudge match. I understand that it's just words. But sometimes words are powerful or get you to get your expectations up. And I don't feel like this was a grudge match. I don't really think Morrissey's been there long enough to even get a grudge. Unless it came from another company. Now, even though this was later in the match, or later in the show, let's talk the Moose and Chris Sabian. I told you guys Moose was going to win. He did not utterly destroy Chris Saban. Not like I thought he would. Um, I really thought that they would portray Moose also as a monster and have him take care, take advantage of his size, of his power, and of Chris Saban's willingness to sell. What I was extremely surprised about was Chris Saban agreeing to allow Moose to target his knee that he had had surgery on. And at one point, he hit him close to the apron, and I'm not too sure that his knee wasn't on the apron. It was underneath the rope. And... I know that can hurt. And I hope he hit his upper thigh, which was more towards the ring. Because if he got into close in that knee area, I'm not saying he could have hurt it, but I'm saying Chris Saban felt it. And, you know, as a human being, your reaction, you're like, ooh, um, not so sure about that. So, you know, he needs to make sure he's watching everything. Moose, even though he's an older guy, I think, I want to say he's 37. He's like 36 or 37. He played, um, like seven years or eight years in the NFL. <clears throat> but here's the thing. He wasn't one that started wrestling in his backyard at 15 years old. He didn't dream of being a professional wrestler. This kind of landed in his lap. Um, he doesn't know all of the techniques and, and, and all of that. So, if I'm Chris Saban, I'm not letting him play with my name. But, 
Chris Sabin probably knows him way better than I did. I thought that Moose would do a beatdown on him, and I told you guys, I was hoping and praying that we got a surprise here of Alex Shelley being back. We didn't. Uh, so I was definitely wrong on that prediction. And then afterwards, I got to thinking, why would you do that? Why would you say that and put that maybe in other people's minds and get their hopes up? I don't know. I'm sorry. For those of you who don't know, Alex um, is a physical therapist in, I want to say, Colorado. Maybe Wyoming, but I think it's Colorado. I'm almost positive. He actually uh, co-owns and works at a clinic out in there. And he originally left last year after having a successful run and getting the next generation of fans interested in the Motor City Machine Guns. And he said, I have to leave. I've got people's lives that I need to help. I need to help them get back on their feet. And I can't fly back and forth to Nashville and tape and take the chance of getting something from one of the wrestlers or someone in Nashville, taking it back to the clinic. But I also can't take the chance that at the clinic someone may come in with COVID-19 and I bring it to Nashville and those wrestlers. And he said it is the responsible thing for me to do. I will be back when I can. Well, I guess stupid me got all excited with this weekend being when, you know, Impact and WWE brought fans back for their promotions. AEW has already did it. Warrior Wrestling has already did it. GCW has already did it. But with both of them having pretty big events this weekend and bringing fans back, I just thought, well, maybe Alex Shelley felt that way. Obviously, he didn't. But Moose did... Um, win convincingly but I don't think my thought was of Moose I think my thought was where does Chris Saban go from here you know he's a tag team wrestler he enjoys that without a partner Cowboy James Storm I'm not 100% sure where on earth he went and then like I said Alex Shelley didn't show up so, what does he do? Does he go to the X Division now? What happens? Um, let's talk about the Knockouts Tag Team Champs. And this was my first prediction that, you know, <clears throat> excuse me, 
course, that I got wrong. Um, Kira Hogan and Tasha Steele, Fire and Flavor, lost to Havoc and Rosemary. Meaning, they again lost their belts. They've lost these belts twice. And we're into July of 2021. I guess the question is, will they stay together and get a third run at the belts and lose them before 2021 is up? Really, from the rumors I'm hearing, don't think so. But, I am glad they've kind of stabilized and are making prominent the knockout women's championship with Deanna Perrazzo. I wish they would have done the same with the tag team belts and not ever put them on Jordan Grace and Jazz. They never needed to be there. Um, they didn't need to be on Rachel Ellering and Jordan Grace. They, there's a lot of people. They didn't need to be on. They were only with them, you know, a couple weeks. I really think that Fire and Flava have lit this tag team division and made it. I know several of you would argue with me about Jordan Grace and Jazz or Jordan Grace and Rachel Ellering or Havoc and, and Rosemary here recently or I guess, I mean, her contract ended December 31st, but I guess you could somewhat argue Taya, Valkyrie, and Rosemary. But... Their tag team situation has not been stable or consistent. They don't have enough teams, and they don't have enough interesting teams. And I think probably that's more key than anything. Having to Neil Dashwood, who... Yes, I've seen her in tag team matches. She's been looking for a tag team partner now for six months in Impact Wrestling. But she's mostly a singles wrestler. And I think a lot of times they didn't have a place for her or a program with her as a singles wrestler. So they were trying to pigeonhole her and move her over to the tag team division think that was a mistake. Uh, I am glad that they have gotten Havoc and Rosemary back together. I liked their entrance. I liked that Havoc was doing her thousand yard stare and <clears throat> it was bothering the announcers, let alone Fire and Flava. I guess I'm just upset that we don't get to hear Fire and Flava talk trash with the belts around. Because it is always hilarious to hear them talk trash. The rumors I'm hearing is 
that they're going to break them up. However, not hearing a definite why. I don't think Impact's doing this. Saw a lot of comments uh, yesterday afternoon on Reddit and on Twitter kind of making fun of Impact Wrestling when these rumors were going around that they would be stupid to break up the only true tag team that they have. Well, yeah. And let me let you in on a little secret. They're not that stupid. It's not like Friday morning, Friday afternoon, Impact creative or management was sitting around and said, you know what? Fire and flavor. The fans love them. Love them talking trash. We've had them be the champions twice already this year. Um, yeah, let's just break them up. I don't think that's what it's about. Kira Hogan has made no bones about it. She wants to continue moving up in the world of women's wrestling. Supposedly, her contract is up very soon. And so they're going to do a breakup storyline because she basically is doing what the Rascals did, except for Trey Miguel, and telling them, you know... I'm probably not going to sign back with you guys. Uh, Hearing that friends have been in contact, that AEW would definitely like her, that NXT would like her, and I guess maybe she may even get involved with Ring of Honor's new women's division. I don't know. So I guess we'll have to watch that story a little bit more closely and see what happens. But Havoc and Rosemary were too much for them. They were too powerful, too strong. Um, And they played it off and the announcers did a great job of telling the story that they were further back so that when one of Fire and Flava would run to hit the ropes, then they were a little further back in the ring, which allowed them to step one way and take away some of their quickness. Because that what is what happened at the beginning, was they showed us Tasha Steele's and Kerry Hogan's quickness against Havoc, mostly. But it wasn't a bad match, but it wasn't a masterpiece. It wasn't a classic or anything like that. But I don't know that anyone was expecting it. I sure wasn't expecting it to be a classic, and I sure wasn't expecting them to hand over the belts to... Havoc and Rosemary this soon. Then uh, we had the four-way tag team with Impact 
Wrestling's Tag Team Championships for the men. I... Well, I'm going to say it. I just... I don't know why this had to be a four-way. I thought it looked clunky. I thought it was overdone. It was pretty much awful, as far as I'm concerned. It just, it didn't feel right. Uh, you had Violent by Design versus the Good Brothers versus Rich Swan and R- Willie Mike versus Fallabaugh, and he had to get a new partner because TJP is injured. I told you guys a couple weeks ago that I had talked to TJP and asked if he was doing any appearances before SummerSlam, if he was doing anything before it. And if you listened to that episode, I told you TJP talked about doing a week's worth of stuntman work. I wonder if that's uh, what caused his injury. I need to check in with him sometime this week and kind of find out whether it's going to cause him to miss anything else. Um, There were many of you that I saw just throw follow ball out and put a whole new tag team in there. Well, Impact Wrestling, you know, I don't, I, I don't know that you didn't hear me on the predict, predictions episode. They're not exactly stocked in men's tag teams either. A lot of them are kind of thrown together, such as Rich Swan and Willie Mike. Yes, they've teamed together before, but they're basically known as singles wrestlers, but they don't have a program right now, so they've kind of thrown them together and thrown them in this chaotic mess. And it still blows my mind that Violent by Design came out with the belts. I I still don't understand that Finn Juice had the belts. Impact Wrestling didn't want him to take him back to Japan again. Um, and so they wanted them to drop them. I can't believe they chose Violent by Design to do that using Rhino's Call Your Shot since Hopefully, Heath is coming back fairly soon. And I do wonder if he's going to be part of Violent by Design. It would be a switch up from his normal characters. But them surprising Finjuice, winning the tag team belts, and then carrying them even this long has blown my mind. So... Fallabaugh comes out in his typical dress. They talk about how TJP obviously is not there. But he found a new guy. And this is where Impact Wrestling messed up. 
The new guy's name is No Way. That's what showed him the graphic. That was what was printed up. He was to be No Way. If the fans call him something else, that's not Impact's issue. That's fans making their own judgment and choosing to say things. However, Fallabaugh himself, I guess, was talking to himself and he let it slip. He introduced him as No Way Jose. Well, that is a WWE trademark name. I am 100% sure someone from WWE was watching Slammiversary. Were they paying attention to this? I don't know. But since it's been in all of the internet sites, I'm sure they are now. But that's, that's the thing we've got to realize. I don't know if WWE gets extremely upset because one guy made a mistake and said a guy's name that was supposed to be No Way that he introduced him as No Way Jose. Of course, the wrestler formerly known as No Way Jose comes out in the same character gimmick. Same clothes, same hair, same dancing, same conga line of crazy people dancing around. The fans are chanting, No Way Jose. And then the announcers, because they had heard Falaba, even though in, in their notes it said, No Way, they called him No Way Jose. So, if I'm WWE, I have to, this morning, you know, Monday morning, sit down and say, what are we going to do about this? Because I think if it had just been Fallaball announcing him like that, but the announcers called him, no way, uh, they didn't make any other comments, Fallaball did not shout, shout from the ring post to get the fans started. No way, Jose. Uh, if they wouldn't have brought his gimmick over and did the conga line and the dress, if he would have cut his hair and changed his ring attire and no conga line, I don't think WWE cares about this. But now, I think someone from WWE will be making a phone call to someone from Impact Wrestling saying, what's up? And I don't think they have a leg to stand on. If you change the conga line, you change his ring attire, you get him to cut his hair, you get him to take off the beads, and he still dances or whatever and he is called no way i think wwe lets it slide 
I really do. But when you put it all together, and like I said, it to me, it seemed like it was all planned. And if that's true, then WWE does need to say, you've got to stop this. If not, we're going to have to file something. And I know you're all thinking, Sam, you're taking this way too far. No, because the next thing you know, he will get over and he will be selling merch and costing basically WWE money. So you kind of got to look at it that way. This was a chaotic mess, like I said, whoever choreographed this. Ooh, it was wild. Um, Nothing seemed to appear to make a lot of sense. I enjoyed it when the Good Brothers actually did some tag team wrestling and kept people over in their corner and tagging in and out and doing double team maneuvers. And then... As I predicted in the predictions episode, the Good Brothers walked out with the titles. Now, since this was about, I don't know, the beginning to the towards the middle of the show, I thought they're going to go back and rest and they're going to help Kenny Omega lose. Well, I was wrong about that. But anyway, uh, the start of the show couldn't have been any hotter. Uh, They did Ultimate X first. Shocked me to death. I understand now why. Because obviously during some backstage happenings and during some videos they took down the Ultimate X structure. And I thought, you know, that was a good thing that way people didn't have to be extremely careful not to hit someone into that. But I told you the Ultimate X match was going to be one of the best matches for the simple fact that their contraption that they've come up with of people having to climb across that to get to the belt in the middle was a great concept. And you had Josh Alexander versus Trey Miguel versus Ace Austin versus Chris Bay versus P.D. Williams, versus Raheem Raju for the X Division Championship. I'll tell you what, the thing that I think disappointed me the most was Chris Bay. I thought he would show up and show out, and he didn't. He hit a lot, it seemed like. Um, this kind of match... When you've got two or three on the structure trying to make their way across it or they've pulled themselves up and wrapped their feet around the beam, 
it is the perfect time for another person who is on the mat while two or three are up on the structure to watch, to see where they're needed to take advantage of someone. And so I think this plays out really well as far as being a multiple man match where I don't get tired of seeing them lay in the floor for two minutes and pretend they're hurt. However, that's a lot of what Chris Bay did. Um, I enjoyed the spot where all of them were locked into some kind of submission and that Josh Alexander was hanging upside down from the structure in order to do a heel lock. Happened to be on Chris Bay. But um, I thought that was really cool. I enjoyed the end as far as two people fighting over it. I enjoyed the history knowledge that they dropped right there and said this had happened one other time. They couldn't determine whose feet hit first. They called them both winners. Well, as soon as they dropped that piece of knowledge, you had to know there were going to be two guys at the end and there was going to be some controversy. There really wasn't a whole lot of controversy, but they had not mentioned the rule that came into play. And did they make up that rule? But Josh Alexander ended up with the belt hanging upside down, not jumping off the structure where his feet would hit the ground. They said that the referee had told them that Josh Alexander did not have to hit the ground, that he only had to capture the belt as part of his champion's advantage. Uh, I don't know if I like that. There wasn't anyone around. Just let him drop and call it good and be over and done with it. But I guess they didn't want to take that way out. Then we get to um, what I am going to tell you is the match of the night. I am gaining so much respect from or for Thunder Rosa. I believed early on when it happened in, I think, late February that her and Britt Baker's unsanctioned lights-out match in AEW was the a match-of-the-year candidate. That it was definitely one of the matches of the night. It stole the show, and... I'm not too sure. It wasn't one of the matches of the month. And like I said, a couple weeks later, I think it was two weeks later, her boyfriend, Adam Cole, and Kyle O'Reilly 
put in their match of the year candidate. Now, everybody told me how much better Dr. Britt Baker was with her character, with her promos, with her in-ring work. I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not saying that she hasn't. But now I'm looking at that match a little differently. Because it contained Thunder Rosa. I saw her put on a great match with Serena Deeb. I saw her on Saturday night put on a very, very, very good, if not great, match with Deanna Peraza. I have griped now for a year that Deanna Perrazzo didn't have chemistry with this person. Uh, she's getting used to actually wrestling, wrestling. WWE NXT didn't allow her to do a lot of that. So she has problems forming chemistry. I remember saying last year she took on Sue Young and I said they should never do a match together again. That they had absolutely no ring chemistry. None. Um, her and Rosemary did, and I commented on that. I didn't know why I felt that way. But I just, I felt like they were. I have been saying for months now, please let Deanna Perrazzo walk through the forbidden door and show up on AEW. Or let Britt Baker walk through the forbidden door and challenge Deanna Perrazzo. Let me see. That's one of her best friends. As is Chelsea Gray. And I wanted to see... Could she have chemistry with them? I've heard them on podcasts. I've heard them, you know, do interviews on Twitch or whatever. And Deanna Peraza is completely different than her character. She's so down home and easy to know, it seems like. Um, seems like she would make the perfect best friend. So I don't understand why she's not having chemistry in the ring. Buddy, let me tell you. They introduced Thunder Rosa. Thunder Rosa stopped about halfway down the ramp. She stared into the camera, but then she looked at Deanna Perrazzo, and it was like you could feel the air crackling between them and when they got in the ring with each other they were so smooth they had a couple hiccups Thunder Rosa doesn't wrestle for in Impact Wrestling she is signed to NWA she wrestles some at 
Mission Pro Wrestling her own promotion. And she wrestles, you know, for NWA. I was looking forward to a big storyline between her and Camille. I don't know for sure that we're going to get that. But just unreal what her and Deanna Perrazzo did. Now, was it because she's comfortable with Thunder Rosa? Did Britt Baker tell her, you can let it all hang out with her. She knows how to go with the flow. She is completely safe. You can trust her. Uh, was it Thunder Rosa herself? I don't know. Uh, Thunder Rosa is like Deanna Peraza, hasn't been wrestling a, a real long time. But I think Saturday night's match of them together was the match of, of that show that may be Deanna Peraza's best match I've seen. And I know she's only going to get better and we're going to keep talking about her. And I know that eventually she will have a match that is unbelievable and better than this one. But right now, this is probably the best I've seen Deanna Perazzo look. I really enjoyed that after her match... I thought there was going to be a little trash talking. I really did. I thought Thunder Rosa would grab a mic and challenge her or get her to talk, to trash talk. I even thought, well, Thunder Rosa, I'm making the assumption that it's an NWA all-women's pay-per-view means Thunder Rosa, since she signed there, will be there. But I really look for her to, to grab the microphone and ask for a rematch at NWA Empire. I really did. Um, she didn't. She kind of rolled out of the ring... They put the camera on her, I think, once. She looked a little sluggish, tired, beat up. But music hit, and it was Mickey James. I was disappointed that he did not put up Mickey James Aldis. I wanted her to do that. But um, she came out, and Deanna Perazzo took an attitude. Mickey James let it slide. Deanna smarted her off again. And Mickey James stood up for herself and was just like, You're not going to treat me like this. But she, all she wanted to do was come out and invite her to NWA Empire. Well, you know. I guess that makes sense. If she hasn't been invited, then how can Thunder Rosa issue a challenge? 
The Anaparazzo basically said no, which pissed Mickey James off, and I don't blame her. Um, you know, she's trying to get as many women to show as possible, big name women, and the women's champions of the different promotions. I've heard Britt Baker has already said yes, and that they think Shadia is also going to be there. Um, I have not heard about Nyla Rose, because I think that will probably be the next person you guys write in about and want to know about. But, um, I really was shocked when she was like, I don't think so. And her and Mickey James had some words. And so, I kind of hope that turns into a little bit of a storyline. Do I want to see them wrestle? When Mickey James played to the crowd and talked about, uh, hard-fought country, then, yeah, a little bit of me did want to see that match. But then, right after, I was like, nah, I don't care. So, they're going to have to build up a storyline if they're going to want these two to get in the ring eventually. I don't want to see Mickey James Aldis versus Deanna Perrazzo at Empire at all. Um, so I hope they don't plan on doing that. I'm holding out and really hope that they can get them both signed and get Impact and AEW to agree and that we get to see Dr. Britt Baker versus Deanna Perrazzo. It doesn't necessarily have to be title for title, but I, I do hope we get that match. So I am going to be paying attention to Thunder Rosa because it looks like she can create chemistry and greatness with a lot of different people. I want to see her do it with Camille. Uh, Then we had the last match of the night. And I realized as they were showing the video packages and everything that I was shocked I thought we would get Kalisto or Mojo Rowley I had completely forgotten about No Way Jose I didn't like him in the WWE I thought his gimmick was overused Adam Rose just did that gimmick probably a year before he, he came in and did it I didn't like his wrestling So I had totally forgotten about him and not even considered him. But I was. I was was pretty sure that we would either get to see Mojo Rawley or Kalisto. We didn't. We didn't get to see Cassie Lee and Jessica McKay. uh, Formerly known as the Iconics. I really thought that they would possibly go to Impact just because Impact allows you to do so much. But then I remembered the Iconics. They have never been on the United States Indie Circuit. 
the hustle circuit, you know, where they can make a lot of money and everything if they want to hustle. Well, with their podcast and they're coming out with shirts and, and different stuff like that, they are learning. And I don't think every everybody was writing afterwards that that meant that they were going to AEW. I I don't know that that necessarily means where they're going. I think they may try out a couple places. I don't think we see them sign long-term contracts until they've been a couple places or at least wrestled a couple different wrestlers from other promotions and have talked to them. Um, I would like to see them in NWA's Empire. And I think I would absolutely love for them to go to AEW, but I think maybe their place is Ring of Honor with their new women's division. Maybe. So we do get the main event of Kenny Omega versus Sammy Callahan in a no-disqualification world championship match. Little shocked, but not completely, that Don Callis came out with him, but he did not have the Good Brothers. I told you that I was expecting some kind of interference, shenanigans, something like that. That I was hoping to see the Young Bucks. And that if I got my way, that would bring out either Finn Juice or... Sean Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Well, it didn't do that. Uh, Kenny Omega impressed me with how much blood he poured out, how well his selling was. And I think the fans are getting to him. So many fans. Uh, They lived on their publicity. Them and the Young Bucks. When they were in New Japan. When they were. You know. They would come over and do. Some United States stuff. Because that's what kept them. Pumped up. And excited. And rocking and roaring to go. So I know Kenny Omega. Has been reading his own stuff. And he's seen. The fans saying. Is he going downhill? What all did New Japan have to do to make him look that good? Obviously, America does not want him to bend over. They don't want to bend over backwards in order to make him look that good. Um, That he's lost his touch. That with his kind of injuries, that he'll never be back to where he was. On and on and on. Because he came out and had one of his better matches. I don't believe that Kenny Omega is the death match king. Calling out um, John Moxley was fine with me. They have had basically a death match. But when Don Callis called out Nick Gage, the king of death matches, and 
the GCW World Championship owner um, shocked me, and I, I said aloud, you guys don't want to go there. And so everybody else thought that was hilarious, but I was being serious. I immediately knew that if Nick Gage was working somewhere, he would hear about it as soon as possible, or he may have even been watching Slammiversary. But he did not let me down because he immediately answered, you know, them and challenged them. And he... I'm paraphrasing, but he basically said that if Kenny Omega and Don Callis truly thought that, then he had an opening in his schedule. He's fighting Matt Cardona night one of GCW's homecoming, which is July 24th. But that if Kenny Omega wanted to come to GCW's homecoming, he was more than welcome to come night two. That Nick Gage didn't have any plans for that night, and he would wrestle him in a death match and show him how it was supposed to be done. I was impressed, though. Sammy Callahan did handle the pizza cutter pretty well. This, like I said, got bloody, it got nasty, both of them were busted open. Uh, I did enjoy Kenny Omega using the fork on Sammy, and little things like that. Yes, towards the end, the Good Brothers came out, of course they cheated, which led to Kenny's victory. However, we then saw Finjuice arrive who got after the Good Brothers. And they eventually did come back. Um, we heard music, and I'll be honest with you, the first, I don't know, couple notes of that, six, seven notes of that, I was like, I know that song. Why do I know that song? I don't watch a lot of New Japan. I watch a lot of their big shows. Uh, I keep up with New Japan. And, you know, obviously I already knew Jay White. New Jay White was part of the Bullet Club. But when you saw the Bullet Club sim symbol flash up, then it clicked with me. This is Jay White. His nickname is Switchblade. And he is a pretty good wrestler they didn't really allow which kills me because it's a pay-per-view you're not fitting into a tv time slot you're streaming and so they could have let this go on for another hour and it not meant anything all of their viewers did not click off immediately when they saw the little trademark thing. 
because things were still going on in the ring. And they were wanting uh, Jay White to do the two-sweep motion to prove he was Bullet Club, that he was family, and that they could trust him. He was hesitating. And then it went out. Everybody, I think, blew up on the internet because they wanted to know what did Jay White decide? Well, I am going to spend part of today researching that. I I was going to do it yesterday and didn't end up doing it. Uh, I had high hopes of the new website that I'm creating. It's theovertimenetwork.com. It's, it's almost somewhat done. But as of right now, it's not. Um, there are a lot of things up on there, such as all the podcasts for all four shows. I have started putting back articles up. I have two, three, three, two or three new articles to put up on there. And uh, it will kind of start to be ready. But one of the things on my list for today is I wanted to research what happened after Impact Slammiversary went off the air. And did anyone tape it? Uh, Because you know if a fan did, then it's somewhere on the internet. (coughs) I heard... Rumors that the Tongas came out. And so was this a Bullet Club reunion? Or were they getting on them? I don't know. I I, I hate that Sammy Callahan lost. But if it's bringing the Bullet Club over to the United States finally. In full. Then I'm all for it. So... Let's wait and see what happens and what my research says. I liked Slammiversary way more than I thought I was going to. Because I thought, I I told you on the prediction show, I feel like there's no really big matches. I didn't think Omega uh, Sammy Callahan was a extremely big match or anything like that and I felt like I was skipping what I truly wanted to watch which was warrior wrestling I watched part of it yesterday and I'm going to finish the rest of it up today and you guys will probably get an episode on it because that card was stacked um and there was some good wrestling that I've already seen so far on it so, yes, you will probably get to hear about that. Um, I, I, they did more on this show and put the surprises in the right place to keep the crowd and me awake and wondering, which I was happy they did. I don't think it was a great pay-per-view, though. 
Not like Slammiversary is supposed to be. This is supposed to be WrestleMania for Impact Wrestling. And yes, it probably matched this year and last year's WrestleMania that WWE put on. But it was not a memorable event. My takeaways from this will be Omega, Callahan, bleeding like stuck pigs. Jay White showing up, Mickey James Aldis showing up, and the match between Deanna Perrazzo and Thunder Rosa. After that, I'm probably not going to remember it. And as bad as I hate to say it, I don't even know that I'll remember the Matt Cardona-Chelsea Green start of her on Impact Wrestling. I, I really don't. Um... So, that's my take on Slammiversary. I hope you guys understood it. I also hope that a lot of you guys watched it and either feel the same way or feel totally opposite. If you feel totally opposite, write me and tell me. Uh, wrestling, or pro wrestling, OT at gmail.com. Tell me what you think. Did you enjoy a different match more? Was there a match of the month or a match of the year candidate there that I didn't really catch? Because believe me, I'm willing to go back and watch it if you think there is one. But I don't I don't think there is another one other than Perazzo Thunder Rosa. So I'll wait for you guys' responses. Guys, I'm going to end this. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you guys today. And I will be talking to you again very soon. And hopefully somewhere, I see you down the road. Holidays are here, and so is fashionable fitness. Gift yourself a Samsung Galaxy Z Flip 3 5G, a phone that folds in half to literally stand on its own. Pair it with the Galaxy Watch 4 for ultimate wellness and wow factor. Check health stats, flex personal records. Over 90 activities can be tracked, like biking, swimming, golfing, and more. Invest in yourself with tech made to crush goals. Holidays open up with Galaxy. Shop it all at Samsung.com. 5G connection and availability may vary. Check with Carrier. Products sold separately. For the ones who get going when the going gets tough. And the ones who know we're tougher together. For the pathfinders breaking new ground. Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as fast access to experts and 24-7 customer support. Because we know you have people depending on you. So you can always depend on us. Call, click Ranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.